You are listening to the Tricer Podcast, where we talk all things hunting, gear, and the great outdoors. Before we begin, let's start things out right and put God first. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Tricer, and I ask that you can use this podcast as a way to bring joy to all of our listeners. We lay Tricer and this podcast at your feet. Amen. All right. Excited for another episode of the Tricer Podcast. I'm uh, really excited today to be talking with Brad Hunt of uh, Gritty. Mm-hmm. Brad, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Doing excited great. To be I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to get you on and have on the podcast. I feel like we talk regularly, texting and some phone mm-hmm. calls and stuff. And I know you guys have been running our stuff for mo- the better part of this year since the spring. I think I know Ryan yeah. has, and you guys are all running it. And I'm just excited to have you on. I'm definitely a, a gritty fanboy. So having like when I started Tricer, there was a list of people I wanted to work with and Gritty was like on the top of that list. That's cool. Only because like you guys run stuff harder than anyone else. And that's who I want yeah. to work with is the guys who are going harder. So yeah, dude, I'm excited to be working with you. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah. No, great to be here. And we've definitely put the product through the paces over the last six or seven months and so far, so good. Been happy with it. So we did, a, <laughs> we did a, like a gear podcast last week, I think, with it. And I gave everybody my two cents. And uh, Brian hasn't run it as much. Ryan has. Lampers, he has quite a bit. So Brian's, he's getting more intrigued, but he's also always running a big camera too. And But it's been good. Like he's seen the benefits of having a setup like that, especially for glassing, because we glass so much. We're all together and it's always a competition of who sees it, who gets it. So we're always on the glass <laughs> a lot. but. It's good. Yeah, I wanted to talk. We'll, we'll get into that too because I know that kind of went with your wolf this year, right? Like you found him yeah. and then Ryan killed it, and then you, <laughs> you end up getting one. But yeah. you guys do play that you who who sees it gets it game. And I I do like that. It's a good way to just honestly do something. Like it's not there's not like a because I always tell people you need to get a pecking order. Like you need to tell them like before the day starts who's going to shoot because if you yeah. don't, things can get weird. And I think the, the, who finds it then that's no other way around at that time. Yep, we have some beef towards that in a way with Ryan because it's like, yeah, Ryan, you're usually at the top of the mountain. Not so much with me, but like Ryan <laughs> hikes a lot faster than Brian. Ryan and I hike very comparable together, but we get to the top of the mountain and I'm like, I'm usually filming, getting a shot or Brian's doing the same. And then Ryan's got an extra 20 minutes to glass. And so we're like, <laughs> we got to change it up a little bit, but where everybody's really good. Like we have an incredible group with Livesa, Lampers, Brian, myself, and we hunt really well together. We hunt the same and it just Again, it makes a heck of a team because, man, we create some what we feel like is good content and we do some incredible hunts. And like the wolf hunt, I had a lot of people ask me, like, did you, did Ryan steal your wolf? And I'm like, no, man, honestly, I heard them, but I never actually laid eyes on it. That wolf, the wind was not correct when my dad and I were sitting in that spot and I was worried about blowing them out because I, there was a kill there or something. Like I knew they had to be there. So I'm like, you know what? If we back out, we'll come back tomorrow and have just as good a chance, but I haven't blown anything out. And Ryan happened to be three quarters of a mile away, <laughs> glassing on a high spot. And as we were walking back, that wolf walked in 200 yards of where my dad and I were sitting. And so I, like, I had no beef whatsoever. As soon as I found out that it's a wolf from Ryan, I'm like, let's go kill it. And I had no problem. Like I get more excited if not, I'm mean, just ex- excited or more excited watching somebody else take an animal like that. And a wolf to me is a special animal because they're incredible. They are, they're very keen. They are aware of what's going on. They're, they're just, they're a different animal, not like an elk or a deer. And we have so much respect for them, but we also want to help manage predators and stuff. And in this certain spot we were in, we had seen in a couple of years, we'd seen probably 10 or 15 kills throughout that whole area, spending about two years in there. And so like when the wolves are there, they hammer the elk and deer, especially the elk on those hot, heavy winter years, they just devastate the elk herds. And we try and do our part to to help mitigate that and to help the elk herds out. And then we got lucky and got two wolves on that hunt. So we're excited to go back and do it again. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So a couple of points on that. So you talked about being excited for somebody else to get something. I think Mm -hmm. that's really important. I think you get to a certain point in your hunting career where you start to understand that the pulling the trigger really is the easy part. Yeah. And finding them and getting into place. And so as a team, you guys are going in and you're getting an animal, which is which I think you start to realize that you're working together. And then yeah. you also talked about working really well with Livesay and Ryan and Brian. Expand on that. How why is it important to have hunting partners 
like that you like or can hunt with or what, what does that mean for a hunt? Like versus having somebody who just, we've all been with that guy who just sucks. Yeah. And it's like, holds you back. One thing with us, like we do some hella hard hunts. Like what on the films is what we're doing. Like we'll go 10, 12 days. We will like my pack with the camera gear. I start out a minimum of 78 pounds with my backpack and that's without water. And that's again for a 10 to 12 day hunt. We're heavy. Not one of us complains. We're all competitive, but we all pull our weight. We do our part. And the excitement of one guy getting the deer over this other guy is we're not selfish about it, especially Brian and I, because we're there to capture that on film. And so if we're selfish about that, we may not get that animal on film to bring that to the viewer. We enjoy the hunt, but we also enjoy bringing that to life and to make people really feel like they're there. And so there are certain times that myself or Brian will spot an animal, but we know that if Ryan is not on the gun, then we're not going to get that on film because Ryan's not filming much. Ryan will, he'll jump behind the long lens and film that, but he's not capturing the moment, the emotion, those things where, again, that comes down to not being selfish and being a team. And when we do that, we get to bring that light to all the viewers and again, make everybody feel like they're there. And when I watch Ryan shoot that wolf, I watched him shoot some bears and some deer. There's never, even if it was like a buck I spotted or something, there's never any remorse because one, we got it on film to capture that moment. And two, I'm, again, I'm just excited to watch the next guy shoot something. I've been with Adam Weatherby multiple times and, and he shot a bear. He shot a blacktail deer and it's, yeah, I spotted the bear. I don't care. Like we captured yeah. that moment and watched Adam, his excitement. And I get just as excited and adrenaline. Another example is I, I filmed a sheep hunt a couple of weeks ago for the, the bow shop that we use. Jeremiah, he, he drew a once in a lifetime sheep tag archery. And dude, I didn't even have the tag in my pocket, but I was so excited to be there. And when he shot that ram with a bow, I, there's only three animals that have ever given me that shot of adrenaline, like the shakes. And it's been my wolf that I killed this year. And then my coos deer with a bow that I killed in 2020. That was a pretty decent coos. And then Jeremiah's sheep. Other than that, like all the elk, the deer and stuff like that that I've killed, I've never got that intense moment of adrenaline shock rushing through your body where you get shaky, quaky knees. I, remember, I haven't had that. And, but on those three animals I did, and man, that's, that's, to me, that's what it's all about. And just enjoying that experience. And again, that's what makes us such a good team is we're rooting for the next guy just as much as ourselves. And it just, we put in the hard work. And again, it's never anybody is complaining about, oh crap, we got to go 12 miles in here. It doesn't even phase us. We, oh crap, we're in negative 10 degree weather. Cool. We got a stove and a teepee. We'll kick it. Like not a big deal to us. It's just second nature. We do it so much now, but. So you guys, you weed them out quick. I take it. So if you can't cut yeah. it, you're, you're out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we do. And there's some great guys that we absolutely enjoy being around, but we're like, sorry, you're not quite tough enough to hunt with us in a way. They're tough. Obviously they're in shape, but it's just a whole nother level when we've been doing it. Even before I started with Ryan and Brian, the gritty crew, this is how I hunted. I just didn't do as many days. Like my dad was a great mentor to me, taking me out in the field, my brother, my sister. And I get asked a lot, what's been the difference as you started working with Grady and hunting with them? And I tell everybody, nothing. It's how I hunt, except for I've got more days to hunt now. That's the only difference. So instead of being the weekend warrior, which man, when you're getting it done and you're the weekend warrior, more props to you because that's hard. Now we got 10 days on a hunt, 15 days on a hunt. And so we're spending 100, 120, 150 days a year in the field. So we just got five or six years of experience to the guy that is getting that only gets 20 days a year if he's lucky. Most guys only get mm -hmm. seven to 10 and we do five years of hunting in, in one year. So we're very fortunate, very blessed to be able to do that. And we find out again, we find out real quick on guys if they're tough enough to, to come hang with us. So we enjoy yeah, it. I've got I've got that on my list, right? Because like for me watching Gritty, like I've drawn tags in certain places. Like I've gone deeper now and done harder hunts because of watching Gritty. Yeah. And so I like, have a question. Like it was like, how do you handle like the mental part of it? For me, the hardest thing for me is the mental part of it, not the physical. Like I'm in the gym five days a week. Still nothing compares to being out in the field with a backpack on. There's, I don't care yeah. how many freaking box step-ups you do and single leg squats you do. I do all the right elk shape types exercise. It doesn't help. <laughs> yep. The hard thing for me is the mental being gone. Like I was gone for 14 days in Arizona and missing my family is what gets me around like day eight. There's days that just I'm like, man, I want to get off this mountain and go home and see my yep. kids. Yep. And I, I've never, you want to like, I never quit. Like I'll never go home early because it's, mm -hmm. I, I, you'll never regret staying the whole time. Like, we just exactly. got skunked on a, on an elk hunt and we stayed till the last day, me and my kid. 
they refuse to let my kid quit. It's just, you're not going to quit. You're going to say this whole time. Yep. You know, his knees torn. It's it's snowing. We were wet. It was just all the, it was like World War Three. The bull, bulls just disappeared. <laughs> it was one of those orange army type hunts, but yeah. we stayed out there and did it. But the mental part of it for me is is a tough game. And I want to ask like, how do you cope with that? You have three kids and a wife. Like, how do you mm-hmm. cope with being gone for 15 days from your kids? Yep. One, I'm very blessed to have a wife that she's always been super independent and always supportive. Like she supports me through everything that I do. And when she had like her dream job in the dream office that she was working at uh, a couple of years ago, and then I had the opportunity to go full-time with Gritty and she was selfless, selflessness enough to say, Hey, let's do it. Let's move. We moved four and a half hours to the other side of Idaho. And again, she's very supportive. But for me, my thing is I'm going to, I'm going to spend all 10 days or 15 days out pushing as hard as I can because yeah, I agree. And I'm with you day seven, day eight, day 10. It's hard missing the family, missing your boys. But then again, to see the joy when I come home with an animal that my boys, like the first thing they always ask me is, did you bring the heart home? And that's like our thing at the house. If we, if I shoot an animal, like I have to bring the heart home. Same with even ducks or whatever, but that keeps me pushing hard. And then just enjoying it. Like it's, again, I'm very fortunate to do it as a full-time job, get to hunt a lot. And I never take that for granted. So that's another thing that keeps pushing me because it might suck for the first nine days of a hunt. And that last day can be the magical day. And so you just keep pushing for that one magical day. And there's a lot of disappointments like hunting pressure, certain areas, maybe animal migration has changed, whatever it may be. It can be hard. And yeah, you keep pushing, you're going further. And like staying in shape obviously is helpful. Like at home, I always do like a 24, 36 hour fast, usually like once a month, because there's been multiple times on the mountain that I fasted for 36 hours, no food or whatever. You usually have water, <laughs> but I'll do that stuff at home just to mentally prepare yourself because it's not easy to fast. Um, you do, I don't go to the gym a lot, but I will throw on a 150 pound backpack and I'll go do a two and a half mile hike as fast as I can with that backpack on because there's something that is just doesn't compare a to packing heavy weight all the time. Mm-hmm. When you pack that weight, we're in the office editing all the time. I stand at a desk for 10, 12 hours a day. Like I don't ever sit down. Just I notice like having that body weight on your joints helps it that much more. Uh, and the mental side of mental game of side of things is not always easy. And again, having a supportive wife and just having your why when you are in the field. And like mine, it's my boys and for the passion for hunting. Like that's my why. So I never want to disappoint myself because I've gone home early on a couple hunts. And when you, like I said, you never regret staying out there the whole time, but you always regret coming home early. And so I've just always told myself, no matter what, you're not coming home early. I don't care the situation. Just stick it out. You'll be fine. And and Brian and I have this saying, and all we always, a hard thing goes down a hunt. You're starting to pack, you kill an elk, you, you have to pack out 140, 150 pounds of meat down the mountain, or you, we start out with 80 pounds of gear. And we always just say it's work. Just get over it. It's work. And We've, for the last couple of years, that's been our saying, no matter what, it's, it's just work. We'll get over it. The soreness will go away and it'll all be better. But we, Jocko has this thing where it's like, when you're doing something miserable, you say, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I make my kids say, thank you. And we had some, we killed five elk in three days over an, <laughs> on a hunt, cow elk, but it was still, they weren't like on the road. It was yeah. pack outs. And then we went to Arizona, we killed a cooch. My kid killed a good, like mid eighties buck. And then we went on this elk hunt. And it was just the first day he missed on a good bowl and we just looking at my battery, make sure my battery's gonna keep recording oh, yeah. here. Hopefully it does. If not, I'll put a new one in, but it should yeah. be charging. So, anyways, we did this, we did that, uh, we did that. he missed on the opening day and we were hiking where we were hunting was every day it was eight to ten miles, but it was through Manzanita and it was dropping like a hundred floors. And one day it took us three hours to get back to the truck, but it's all uphill. Yeah. It just sucks. And I, I heard him a couple of times. This is in my back. He's a 15 year old kid. I hear him say, thank you. Just hiking. And I was like, there you yeah. go. But yeah. I, I, oh. I tell you that kid has more grit than most grown men. And it was just like, it was cool to see that and cool to stick it out with them. And I told him when we were all said and done. I was like, man, I'm glad you didn't kill a bull opening day. Yeah. Like it was just, right. we got to spend seven days and we got to see what you were made of. Like you got to go to the limit where your body hurts for two weeks after. And I don't know if you're the same as me, but <clears throat> I will get out of the tent and I will push as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. There's something about when that hunt finally ends where my body just catches up to me and I'm sore. I don't know how you guys keep doing it so yeah, often. We at home, we eat pretty clean on the mountain. I eat super, super clean. And so I just try and keep it the same at home and on the mountain. And then just 
doing the necessary stuff throughout the hunt. Like I will sometimes I'll pack a little like a it's almost like a lacrosse ball, but it's a little bit smaller, like half the size of a lacrosse ball. I'll pack that just to roll out throughout the hunt, roll out the shoulders, roll out the legs, staying hydrated. Like Ryan, I swear that guy doesn't sweat at all. But Brian and I, we sweat like crazy. So packing the necessary stuff, like I need a lot of salt on a hunt, especially a grueling hot, hard hunt where I'm sweating a lot. I need a ton of salt. And then just taking stuff on the mountain, like we fi- we do it so much, we figured out what I like to eat because the stuff I like to eat at home, I might not want to eat on the mountain. Like I'm at home, I'll, I want to eat a steak every day, but I get on the mountain, I don't want that much meat. I don't want that much protein or whatever. I just don't feel like I have the energy where like a lot of pastas, I eat a lot of pasta and stuff on the mountain where I don't really eat that much at home. Spaghettis and things, I enjoy that at home or sorry, on the mountain. Those are the little things that keep you going. You figure out your snacks that you like to eat. And once you dial that in, man, it makes it so easy. And having a teepee with the stove, take my deer hunt this year, for example, I was out there for nine days solo. I hunted like 12 days total. My dad was on there on the hunt for a couple of days, but those nine days solo in that big massive storm that came through, like in Colorado, Idaho, within 24 hours, I had 16 inches of snow on me, but dude, I was so comfortable just chilling in my teepee, put the stove around, like I had no issues didn't have any worry. It's like, oh, the snow, cool. I'll hang out where it's warm in here. And then when I have visibility, I'll go out and glass. I can stay up on the peak of a mountain and I'm already where I'm at. I stay mobile. Everything's in my pack. I don't go to a base camp all the time. So I'm conserving energy there. And just again, we do it so much that you get comfortable doing it. Like it's nothing for us to spend 10, 12, 15 days. I have unlimited power. I have a stereo pen that's rechargeable. There's nothing in my backpack that takes a battery anymore other than my camera gear. But flashlights to stereo pen to my phone it's all run off of the charger and the solar panel like i don't i'm not worried about batteries and i can have unlimited power the whole time i'm out there and that's i think that's another thing that kind of keeps me going is having an inreach where i can reach back to my family when i don't have service i can text my wife i can text the kids and they'll hey keep going or keep pushing hard things like that things are good at home you're fine stay out there and so that makes it a lot easier, I think, for if you don't have that set up, just being able to talk to the family through a text message helps a lot. So so you guys have a lot of confidence, right? You guys have been doing this for a long time between all of you guys. Mm-hmm. You talked about being out there and the storm coming in. Do you, you have a, a lot of trust in your abilities? For sure. Like I, there was a, you hear that story, there was on Epic Outdoors, this guy this year, he's been hunting forever yeah. and he ended up getting stuck. You started the one where he got stuck out in the snowstorm. Yeah. Justin's a great friend of mine. Like I know oh, Justin you know. pretty well. Yeah. Yep. He's a... Dude, he spends a lot of time out there. Like he's an experienced guy, but then again, there were some mistakes that he made. And so take the fire starter, for example. I have a regular Bic lighter, which I will use 90% of the time for a hunt. I also have a rechargeable electric lighter, like one of the, I don't even know what they call them, but they're just an electric lighter. And then I have waterproof matches too. So, because when it gets really cold, I found those Bic lighters don't work all the time. I have really good fire starter. Like I never go without fire starter and multiple types of stuff to start the fire. I never go up without my saw. I can always cut wood. I can split it in half if I need to, sawing it down. I have the TP with the stove, like my rain gear. I have boot dryers that are super lightweight. So I'm not worried about my boots getting wet. We have some other hacks too. Like I wear my crispy Laponias, which are a uninsulated, very lightweight boot. I wear them all the way, pretty much almost all year, even into minus temps because I take foot warmers, hand warmers, I'll put those on top of my foot, not on the bottom, because then I can hike with it and my feet are warm from the hand warmers, the toe warmers, and I still got a lightweight functional boot. And then I have the stove and the the boot dryers. So every morning I'm waking up, my boots are dry and they're warm inside. So I'm not putting on a cold boot. I have good rain gear. And like I said, if I get wet, I have the teepee in the stove and have used it a lot of days, a lot of experience with it. I know I can dry out if I get wet and I'm not worried about getting wet because I have that set up. And yeah, we do have a lot of confidence because we do it a lot. And we've had a lot of experience with the, the teepee and the stove in some crazy nasty conditions, whether it's wind, water, snow. Yeah, we just, we're super comfortable out there. Probably too comfortable, but we just don't really think about it. It's just second nature to us. Good sleeping bags. That's what I would say is a good sleeping bag. Like I run a quilt, which a lot of guys don't like a quilt, but I run a zero degree. And right now it's an enlightened equipment quilt. And when it's hot weather, I can kick out and open it up, let it breathe. And then when it's really cold temperatures, I can suck it down. But I also have a pair of puffy pants and a puffy jacket that I can crawl into that sleeping bag with. And if I need the extra warmth, which I've never had to do, even in like minus temperatures, 
I've never had to actually wear my puffy pants and jacket inside my sleeping bag. I haven't been that cold yet. Yeah. I run the 10 degree enlightened equipment and I don't even know how many hundreds of nights I have in that thing now. Mm-hmm. I'll never go back to a sleeping bag because I like to roll when I sleep and being able to like in a sleeping bag, I end up like almost taking a wet towel. Like it winds up on you. In the same way. You can roll around, kick your legs out. I absolutely cannot express enough how much I like enlightened equipment. Well, I should I'll have throw this the out there. Yeah. I'll throw this out there. Peaks has some stuff coming down the line that is is changing me from the quilt so (laughs) can't talk about it a lot but it's almost here we're we're excited to be using it and it's there haven't been many sleeping bags like it so far so so talk about that so you guys have switched over to you guys are big peaks guys no no Mm -hmm. fans or buts about it you're running that tp i've been running a seek forever but this tp is like intriguing it's got all these it's almost built specifically for hunters tell me about it is it worth is everything you guys say it is yeah, absolutely. And I will just because we still run like a seek outside six band, eight man, like the red cliff. We still run those type mm-hmm. because there's not that big a TP with peaks, but, and I sometimes will still run like a solo seek outside shelter. Cause again, there's only kind of one size that Cimarron size mm-hmm. is what the peaks TP is. But if you take the two side by side, use them in the same stuff, like the peaks just crushes it because one with the trekking poles, you have that ability to basically tighten up your sidewall. Yeah. You can stretch it out. It makes it just that much bigger. But then on those super wet hunts, you can throw all your gear on there. I and mean, we've thrown literally taken two 25 pound weights and thrown them up there in the teepee. We did a podcast about it, but I, there was one trip a couple of years ago, we were on a mule deer hunt and we got soaked. We had an eight, nine mile hike in and we got absolutely soaked everything in our backpacks to our clothing, to the sleeping bags, everything. And we threw it all up inside of the teepee, Brian's stuff and my stuff. And we threw it all up in there. And within a couple hours, it was all totally dry. And that's where the the stove and the teepee comes in. But just the features that have been designed into that teepee, dude, it's incredible because you have the trekking pole rafters is what we call them, where you stick your trekkers in the top. It stiffens up that teepee so much. And like this year, I was prototyping a Dyneema Peaks teepee. And dude, I had the highest wind uh, I've ever been in any windstorm with that snowstorm. And that TP, like the, the center pole was moving like 10, 12, 14 <laughs> inches. And it was, I thought it was going to snap. And the way those trekkers were up in the top end of that, it held that wind. And like I said, the seek outside has too. And just knowing how to use a, a TP in those high wind situations makes a big difference. And seek's a great TP. And, and a lot of guys at first were like, the seek outside is American made. Yeah, it is American made. If peaks, wanted to, they could have, but they didn't. And there's multiple reasons behind that. But also it's where are the dollars from Seek Outside going towards conservation and stuff? Not very far. They're not supporting the American ways where even though Peaks is not built in America, they're supporting the American people. They are putting their dollars where their mouth is. They're really focused on conservation and and two, building a better brand and supporting what we support as hunters, where some of the other companies, they're not. They may be American made, but they don't support what we do. So just, again, it's not economical anymore to be an American made company. It's very hard. It is very hard. If you want to be able to make any money, you can't do it. Carbon fiber trekking poles, carbon fiber that's in a round, like a pole or something. You can't even make it here in America right now. Um, It's not that doable. Like maybe they may have some of the machines currently, but a few years ago, you couldn't even make carbon fiber, rolled carbon fiber here in America. So I I know a guy who does a lot of rolled carbon fiber stuff. I know all about what you're talking about right now. (laughs) They've made it to where with the regulations and everything like that, it's hard to be an American made company. It's, it's, I know all about it. Your margins, everything. They've made it so impossible. It's not what it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's, way different now. So we just focus on where Peaks puts their dollars versus where other companies put their dollars. And Peaks has the hunter and the American people, like they have their back. They want to support them where said some of the others, they don't. But yeah, I can tell you, I was uh, texting Bryce from Peaks. I want to get one of these TPs. And he's like, dude, I can't keep them in stock right now. So I, I still yeah. want to get one from them. I got to work with them and get one this, this spring. Yep. I want to try it and do it because I was running the silver tip I've never run a stove because we're in Southern California. We don't deal with a lot of, yeah. we don't have cold weather, right? So I never, I always run like a silver tip, which is like a small, it's a two man TP, but it's a one man stove shelter. Yep. I never ran a stove in it. I like to try it out. And then I've switched over to Hillenburg in the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. I just love my Hillenburgs. I want to have them yep. on the podcast too, talk to her about that. But I, I'm not opposed to going back to it. Like it's a TP, there's a bunch of real benefits to it. One is like you get a ton of space. 
Yeah. You yep. can cook inside your TP, which is awesome. It almost becomes like a home. So when you have those high winds come up, like if you're in like, like I have some smaller like Kuyu shelters and then some smaller like three season shelters, all you're doing is sleeping in there. Like getting yeah. dressed is a freaking nightmare. If you're with another dude, like you better really like that dude, even in a three man <laughs> tent. I can tell you, Hillenburg's tents are actually made to size. If it's a two person, it's a two person tent. Yep. But you right. got a two person like big oh, Agnes tent. There's it's a one-person tent. It's there. a one-person yeah. tent. It's not a two-person tent. A Nemo right. tent. You get a two-person Nemo, you might as well make it a one-person tent because it's just exactly. Unless you're with your wife, you're going to be cuddling pretty heavily, and you're going to be sweating. So the teepees just have a lot of benefits to them. You do, like, you do. I guess in Southern California, we have more. I don't. I feel like we have more creepy crawlers than you guys do. For some reasons, yeah, you're going to do creepy crawlers. Yeah, and you're like we. You go if you go to New Mexico, you go to yeah some of that stuff. You get some scorpions. You get some. I hate snakes. I don't care. I, I absolutely hate snakes, but you can throw in there ways around it. You can throw in like the, like peaks is not a full like nest system, but they do have a full nest coming out mm-hmm. uh, that, that just like a seek outside, but we haven't had any issues like that. Using it even in Alaska with all the mosquitoes, like you turn the stove on for a minute and they all die. And we ran like inside the, the teepee because we have airflow when it's not super cold. We'll run like a thermocell, just like a like what do they call those? I know what you're talking about a little, yeah. little like uh, plastic thing. You turn it on, it has a heater, it has a little butane yes. on it. it puts yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, and so like they have a backpacker it. one that mm-hmm. connects to the your fuel canister yep. and has the cards you put in it. We ran that a lot and keeps a lot of the bugs away. And people ask us if it's unsafe. It might be, but we have enough airflow through that teepee that it, it we're getting fresh air. So we haven't been too worried about it. And uh, just having that teepee, having the, even in high wind storms, knowing how to rock it out, even throwing some dead logs or rocks around the bottom of the teepee where the wind's not coming underneath mm-hmm. of it. Just little hacks that, that with experience with the teepee, we've figured out. We can stay in there in 10,000 feet elevation with 60 mile an hour winds, or even in Alaska where there's not a lot of firewood. If we have to go take a part of a day and hike a half a mile to go get a bunch of firewood, we'll do that. But then we can spend five days at the top with the teepee and the firewood and be warm and dry. And we're camping right on the elk, the deer, whatever it may be, wherever we're at. And like the lower 48 states, most places, you don't have to worry about not being able to find any firewood. Like even in the desert, when I was on the sheep hunt, we found a lot of dry wood where there doesn't look like there's any wood at all. Brush and things like that, you cut it up and you burn it and works well. And like I said, if we have to travel a little bit, we will to go get firewood. But most cases we have firewood right there where we're at. And it's a convenience, like having fire keeps you in the field a lot longer because I'll tell you like a 10 day hunt in a Hilleberg is miserable when you don't have that heat source. You can carry propane heaters and stuff too, like, or drop them off. Say you're in Alaska and you drop off propane heaters. It doesn't do you any good though when you get soaking wet because propane's a wet heat. So you can't dry stuff out really versus a wood stove. Like you can dry clothes out, your boots out. And again, having like dry boots is probably number one, especially if you're somebody that has feet problem, blisters and things like that. If you're already putting your foot into a wet boot, you're your host for the whole day. You're going to get blisters and same with if you get cold feet really easy. It sucks to put your foot in a dense leather boot that's already cold from the minute you put your foot in. Having a warm boot makes it that much better for the day already. You're starting out on a positive note. Yeah, I need to get some of those boot dryers too. On this hunt, we were just on one. We made a mistake one morning. It rained. Of it snowed, and I'm like, oh, we just wear rain jackets. We don't need or gaiters mm-hmm. and no rain pants. And it just melted real quick, and it it wicked right into our. I mean, we have an inch of water in our boots, right? Yeah. And I was like, man, I wish I had those freaking boot dryers. <laughs> so we ended up driving to town. I ended up hiking out and driving to town. And going to, it was only going to rain that day. So we knew we were going to go out again. I right. went to a laundromat and put those boots in the laundromat and it sat against because they would keep opening the door. So we'd leaned against it and ran those things for an hour and a half to get them dry. Oh, man. People <laughs> were looking at us and it's like, cook, Right. A little platform in there to throw the boots on. And I was like, I hope the owner's not here. I'm about to hammer this watch. But I had to do it. I was like, I got to get my feet dry. You can't have those boot dryers. We use a little Graxaw boot dryer. So they just, they're like a computer fan basically and they sit in the top of your boots. They take hardly any power. So we just plug them into a dark energy battery pack. And when you have that heat, like the top of that teepee, when the stove's going, even when it's 10 degrees, 15 degrees, 20 degrees, zero degrees outside, that teepee is so warm inside there. And then obviously as the heat rises, you get it up high. The top of that teepee is like a dryer. That's almost hundred degrees up in there. And that's the other thing with the Peaks teepee, where we put those trekkers up in the top, you can sit all your boots and everything. There's a little net up in the top of it, but you can sit two or three pairs of boots on top of that. They're down, they're, they're laying against the trekking poles. 
So they're not bringing your teepee in. If you were to take another teepee and you tie a rope around the teepee, if they have loops, it sucks your teepee in like this. With the trekking poles, it doesn't do that. Your teepee stays stiff in the top end of it. You pile your boots up there. They're dry, coats, gloves, whatever. And it just you dry it out and you're putting on warm, dry clothes as you start the day, dry boots. And there's some high benefits to having a setup like that, especially yeah, in cold I, weather, wet weather. I can say too, like my TP experience is I'm always, you're always against the edge. So without having those trekking poles up there, it's always like sagging against you a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So if you do get moisture in there without a stove, like it's just touching you, you're always touching it. So having that trekking poles, I really didn't think about it until now, but like it's really making it give you that space, that so those wall space, which you don't really yeah. get in a normal TP. Yeah. Cause you take like a, a similar setup. There's a lot out there. There's the Argali, the Seek Outside, there's Light Outdoors, there's multiple, the peaks. And when you take it and you don't set the trekkers up, it, it feels a lot smaller, but once you get those trekking poles in there, cause like the peaks TP already has pretty steep walls with those steep walls. It gives you a lot more room in the bottom, the footprint. But then when those trekking poles are up there and you tighten it up, especially sill nylon, because when sill gets wet and stuff, it'll stretch. And so like mm-hmm. you, you can just take your trekking poles, stretch them out a little bit and it'll tighten that TP up and dude, it's solid. And then again, with the walls being really steep, gives you a lot more room, a lot more footprint inside that TP, And it feels like a castle when you're in there. Two guys, all your gear, the stove, it's so comfortable. Just kick back, throw the spotting scope up there with the all-in if you're reined in and watch TV. Like I'll download, we all do it. We download a bunch of movies. And so if we're fogged in, can't see, can't glass, or like you have long nights, like in late mule deer season, October, November, you get those long nights inside the TP. Just throw it up there, watch some movies, hang out with the stove going and there's nothing like having a caveman fire. Caveman TV, the fire there, just watching it and hanging out and you're warm. It's super comfortable. But I love Olin. I've got five Olins on all my stuff now. Mm-hmm. And he is, Nate is awesome. Talk yep. to him all the time. Um, I have a phone mount coming out, not for spotting scopes. Like I'm not going after Olin at all. A, th- right. a way to put your phone onto an Arca mount to put your phone on for taking oh, yeah. selfies and stuff like that. So it's going to be really cool for videos as well. So it's called the KS Kill Shot. So it's okay. just for, I got sick of trying to take, set my phone up on a log and take a gripping grain or hang yeah. it, balance it against my tripod. I didn't really think of it that as a purpose. I watch a lot of, not a lot, but we do bring the movies along too on our, our phone and we'll do that in the tent, me and my boy. It's just fun yeah. to do in the tent, watch movies with them, especially when you get rained in, you can yeah. sit down and watch a movie or something, Avengers or something. But that'll Ooh. be a good tent phone movie tripod adapter coming out here. So it's coming out yeah. here this month. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. We've just been using the all in and just clicking the phone right on there and turn it sideways and you got TV right there. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. The Olin is, I cannot say enough about them, man. Like I get nothing from them other than we just do some stuff together with, you know, using their stuff and using my stuff, but mm-hmm. it, I've used them all and the easiest thing, hands down, my brother-in-law's yeah. came over and everyone, I never think to look at the moon with my spotting scopes or my setup. Like it's not what all I right. do. So they came over for Christmas and the first thing they're doing is they're out there with my spotting scopes, like looking at the moon. And then I'm like, I never even thought to do that. And then it was yeah. like a full moon the other day. So they're, then they were, their, their phones are on there and they're trying to get these pictures. I'm just laughing. I'm like, watch this. I'm going to throw my own on there. Bam, pictures. Man, take a yep. bunch of full moon shots. And just, yeah, it's so you fast, can literally so just simple. throw it on there. And yeah, you're not having to line it up. And I've done all nope. the other ones and I've tried some other stuff that magnetizes and stuff. And it's just like this one, you just literally snap it on there. Mm-hmm. I can't say enough good things about what Nate did with that. It's just yeah. go buy it all. I mean, they got some cool stuff in the works coming too. They've done a heck of a job. They're, we work with them a lot now and, and they've been, it's been awesome for like getting video. Like we could, if we wanted to, we could film almost full time with our spotting scope and phone setup, but we just, we like to run our heavy cameras because we like people to have that Nat Geo experience when they're watching yeah. our films and it just pays off better for us to have a high quality camera and lens versus an iPhone. You can do some incredible things with an iPhone, but it's nice for us as we do it full time having the heavy camera and the heavy big lens to capture that stuff. Yeah. I carry a camera now with me because like you can, I feel like I want to be more legit with Tricer, right? And just doing it on your phone, it looks good. Mm -hmm. But when you use like an actual camera, it's wow, it is that much better. And and I'm not using anything crazy. I'm using like, I don't know, $800 cameras. Not like you guys are using, Right. but it's just that (laughs) much better having an actual camera to take these pictures and take these grip and grins or the antler shots and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm just not good at that stuff. I don't have the mind that you guys do. I talked about this last week on the podcast with another guy, just like you guys have an ability to see things that I don't see. I'm like, just center it up, take a picture thing. Let's, right. it, it, it's, why doesn't my picture look good? Then you guys have a way to take a picture and it just, you feel like you're there. 
Yeah. And that's why I love Gritty. That's why I love watching you guys and stuff because you guys take me there. You guys have a way, you can elaborate on this too. You're taking a 15-day hunt and putting it into a 20-minute episode mm-hmm. and making me feel like I was there for a 15-day hunt. Yep. Like, yeah. Elaborate on that. Yeah. like That's our number one goal is to really make people feel like they're on the hunt. Audio, we pay attention to audio a lot. We pay attention to the filming. We pack some heavier equipment to get to capture the the better quality film. Because we could run a GoPro, we could run a much lighter setup, but we don't get the quality that we're looking for. We don't get those. Like People love to see animals doing animal things and mm-hmm. up tight and close. So when we pack the heavy lens, the big lens, and we're capturing those animals doing their thing in their natural state, Again, it's like a Nat Geo ex- experience. And we're not just filming a hunt. We're creating a documentary. We're documenting that 15-day hunt. And going forward, yeah, the last couple of years, we've been so busy doing stuff that we've only done like a, we'll do a three or four part series, about 20, 30 minutes of video. Our goal coming up is going to be, we want to create longer episodes. Like we're in the beginning of Gritty and people sit down, you get your popcorn and you're there for an hour watching a, a film and you're right with us like, feeling like you're on the mountain with us. And again, we pack that heavy equipment to make that viewer experience like it is. There's a lot more edit time that goes into it. Brian has, he does most of the film stuff as far as editing wise. And he, he spent his 10,000 hours editing. So now he's good at it and he's fast at it too. And as we move forward with Gritty, again, we want to bring that experience to the viewer to make them really feel like they're there. And that's why I do pack 18 pounds of camera gear when I go into the backcountry. Again, I could set up a lot lighter and not kill myself so much, but we do it for the viewer and just telling the story. We, you know, we, it's not easy to tell the story in the backcountry either. And so we really make it a point to, we don't go in the field with a shot list. A lot of guys will go in the field and they'll have a shot list. We don't do that. We just run the camera a lot and we try and catch the raw emotion that people have. Like when they shoot an animal, when they're stalking an animal, we try and really catch just in the moment, the raw stuff that you can't fake. Like you can't fake that raw emotion when somebody shoots an animal. And we talk about the time where we're somebody we haven't hunted with much. If you're the guy that cries when you shoot something, cry. When you're the guy that yells, hoops and hollers, gives high fives, hugs and jumps around, do that. If you're the guy like Ryan and myself, because a lot of my kills have always been like solo or whatever. I don't celebrate that much. Just who I am, <laughs> what other guys do. And so I'm like, just do you, man. Do you. Just be authentic and we'll capture that. And then it just feels so much better and in the moment. And we've tried to step up our film game over the last year, two years. Um, and I feel like we're doing a pretty good job. And again, Brian, is he's really good at producing the film in the office, but he's also really good about field producing. And I'm trying to step up my game over the last couple of years to be a really good film producer and look at it in a perspective of, okay, this is how I want to tell the story. So this is what I need to capture in that moment. Again, we don't go off of a shot list. I think if we tried to go off a shot list, we would miss a lot of what we, we mm-hmm. are capturing. And so just knowing when to run the camera and having it accessible on a hunt. Recently, we had the camera in the backpack because it was raining like crazy. It was soak- soaking wet. Things were just getting just hammered and soaked and our camera equipment does pretty good but i mean everything was so saturated and i waited for the camera and didn't shoot a giant black tail because for the first time in probably five years we had the cameras in our backpacks not on our person like we normally would and always do and we just made that mistake we had the cameras in our backpacks and i let the buck walk i should have shot him but <laughs> i was also truly trying to capture it on film so it's a double-edged sword there and you're the bad guy if I don't shoot it on film. And I'm the bad guy if I let the buck walk away because it's not on film. So it is what it is. But yeah, we just try and capture that for the, the people. And really, again, our goal is to make them feel like they're there. And we, we always, we talk about three things. We want to educate. So we try and do that for our films. Gear we're using, how to set up this, do that. We also want to inspire and entertain. If we can hit two of those three, it's a good film. Now, if we hit three of those or all three of those, it's an epic film and we accomplish what we wanted to accomplish in that film. And those are the three things that we go off of. So to do make epic content, we always talk about this too. To make the epic content, you got to do epic things. You got to go do the 10 day hunt, the hard hunt, the deep backcountry type hunt. And if you're not doing epic things, I don't think you're going to have an epic film. Now there are exceptions to that, but that's just how we feel. If we're doing epic things, we're going to have an epic hunt and an epic film. And especially if we put something on the ground. Now there are times we're in epic country. We end up not putting something on the ground. And so it's an epic backpacking trip, hiking trip, (laughs) camping trip, whatever you want to call it. But 
we have an audience now that even if we don't have a kill, they'll still watch it. Like I said, we're still educating. We're still inspiring people, teaching people how to get out there and do it. And to gear nowadays, obviously that helps too, is gear now versus 15 years ago is totally different. It's lighter and better and warmer. And it just keeps you in the field a lot longer than using the flannels 20 years ago and jean pants. It's different. And so as times change, technology changes, it obviously makes the hunt more comfortable for people and more people can get out there and do it as they want. Yeah, I can say, we say inspiring. You guys definitely do inspire me and, and you've pushed me to want to be a back backcountry hunter more and, and seeing mm-hmm. what Brian's doing and some of the places I've went are places that I'm assuming you guys are going. Like, I'm not going to outspot you guys, Robert. I'm like, I want to draw a tag there because I think they're hunting here. When I'm trying to go to those places and do those things, right? And I want to go to Alaska and hunt caribou and go to Alaska and do moves to see you guys doing it. And we get to live through you guys and what you're doing. When you say, oh, we're going to make hour-long episodes now, I get excited because like at my house, we don't watch football. We watch Supercross on Saturday and on Sundays, it's Grady Sunday. And I don't know if Grady Sunday is like a new phenomenon, but it's, it's known now. It's Grady Sunday. Like it's, Gritty Sunday, it's everyone's putting it up, everyone's watching it, and we yeah. sit down and we watch. And I'm so excited when you guys, you told me you run them in sequence. I wish you can do 52 of them, but you guys can't hunt that much, I guess. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, but Gritty Sundays are awesome. And I do it with the kids, and you guys have clean content and mm-hmm. great content. And I'm not just tooting your horn, but like when people ask me, like, who do you like? And it's like, Gritty. Gritty's up at the top of my list of people I yeah. like because it's, you're having this experience and it's a real experience. It's not like a sold out experience. And I'm not, I shouldn't say that. Brian's not going to go start doing paid hunt somewhere now that he's got this big channel, right? He's going to continue right. to do what he's doing. And that's what I appreciate about Brian, right? He's not like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go hunt with this star right now. I'm going to do this hunt, this high fence hunt here because it's going to be good for the majority of people. Like you guys stay true to what you're doing and you do these deep, these hunts that are just intense and you're rafting and you're getting wet and you're miserable and we feel the misery yep. and it's, man, I wish I could be miserable right now. And you're watching, and a lot of times they come out in the spring too. It's like when we're really having withdrawals, like from hunting, right? Because right. right now you're, I've been hunting for four months. So it's, it's nice to go to the desert and go ride my dirt bike right now. Yeah. But come like February, March, I'm going to be like, man, I wish I was hunting. I wish yeah. and all these pretty shows start dropping and it's just, I love it. I love everything yep. about it. Yeah. And we'll still drop our normal, like, 20 minute, 30 minute films and stuff. We're still going to have those, but we want to create like five, four, five, six, whatever it may be, whatever hunts we have. We want to create like some really just intense and really good films that are longer version of a film because we feel like we have good enough content to do that with. Now I'd say there are some hunts that don't make that happen. So we end up, yeah, we make a 20, 30 minute film out of it. But again, we have to do the epic thing to make epic content. And it has to be, the hunt has to be good enough to keep you there for an hour long hunt. And there's a lot of these films, a 20 minute film, we cut out a lot of stuff because we don't have have the time to bring it forward to the audience. And so we end up cutting out a ton of the hunt that is incredible. It's, It's awesome, but it's not quite, just doesn't quite fit in because we've been so busy that our time, we haven't been able to create a full hour long film. And we want to get back to that. We're getting to a point where we're able to do that. And Again, there might be a couple hunts that we you can we might go buy a tag. Not always, but we go buy a tag, but it's still a hard hunt. There's no guarantee on that hunt. Anybody else can still buy that same exact tag. It's not like it's a high fence hunt, but it might be a little better hunt because we paid a little more for a tag. And it, we haven't done that a lot, but I, we feel like we do this enough that there are there has to be a couple hunts that are just fun hunts. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't have that many fun hunts. Like we are working our butt off. I don't know how many thousands of miles we hiked this year. Like I went through three pair of Laponia, crispy Laponias this year. The boot's still good. I just have no tread left. They're they're like skis on the bottom and just getting out and hiking as much as we do. And we're very blessed. We're fortunate and blessed to get to do that stuff. And so just capturing it, creating the content, making it feel like the audience is there is again, our purpose for doing what we do. And Brian's done an incredible job over the last five or six, seven years since he's been doing this seven years, I think eight years. He's done an incredible job of really honing his skills when it comes to filming and editing. And I've been fortunate to be on the the other end of it and learning from him and just being able to capture that. And and it's also given us more time at home because if I can't go on a hunt, he'll go and film it. And if he can't go, I'll go and film it. And we just create more content that way, but we also still have a family life, which is a must and a need for sure. Yeah, I should be real clear. I am by no means knocking high fence hunting or Correct. knocking private land tags. Yep. 
I, yeah. I will gladly. I'm going to Sonora next month, and it's not a high fence per se, but yep. I'm going to hey, see some the- giant deers that I did not see on my seven days over in Arizona this year. Exactly. Right? But I just I like that you guys continue to push limits and continue to make the same this great content. Yep. I really like what you're saying about the hour long episodes. I wasn't thinking about when you first said it, but <clears throat> there is this kind of cookie cutter mold now, right, with these hunts. Mm-hmm. And these films, and it's like this 15 to 20 minute mark. And it's, you guys are going to break that now, which is awesome. And no one's yeah. doing that. No one's making long films like that no. at all, which I really think is like something groundbreaking for Gritty to do. And honestly, you can use more of it. Like, it's like, I don't want to, I don't know. I'm not a film expert. So you like get the B roll, loading the truck, then you get the B roll hiking in, <clears throat> yep. some glassing, some finding the animal, sitting in the tent, eat some mountain house, and then a stock, and then a kill, and then the hike, then the, pa- the skin the animal and pack out. Yeah. And that's not like the mold for the, all these films that everyone's doing. And I think a lot of that has to do with their paying filmers, right? And the, you know, mm-hmm. editing an hour long film is not cheap. No. It's not easy and it takes a long time. But with you guys self producing and self making this stuff, there's not a lot of guys doing that, right? Limitless is doing it, right? They, they yeah. make some awesome content as well. I think Justin and Colton do some just incredible stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. But you guys being, uh, having the ability to create your own stuff, who cares how long it is? You could edit as long. Like you said, Brian's got 10,000 hours. What's another 500 yeah. hours for Brian to make an epic film? Right. And if you can make just something that's just a yep. film. And he's like, he's got awesome. fast enough. Like Brian, he can make a 20-minute film, 25-minute film in about 40 to 45 hours. So basically a week's worth, he'll be able to make that 20, 30-minute. We want to get to where we're making an hour-long film. And, and if you watch, like I'm sure you did, early on, the gritty stuff early was – it was a day by day. It was taking you throughout basically an hour long film, the early ones that the deer hunts, the bear hunts, that's how they were. And we've gotten away from that. We don't, again, we just don't want to create YouTube type content. We want to create movie theater worthy content. And that's our goal this year is to bring that forward and, and to focus on that more and just give us a little more time to spend with our families, but still create some incredible films that people are going to enjoy. And everything's still going to be digital. Still going to be a catch it on YouTube, whatever. And we, we will still have those 20 minute films, a few of those that just, they just didn't turn out to be that epic that, that's going to be able to make an hour long film, hour and, hour and 30 minutes. So we'll still have both, but we're also ramping up all our gear podcasts and our podcasts in general, talking to a lot more people, getting them on the shows, going to hit up some of the more like more total archery challenge events because we can get a lot of podcasts there and get a lot of information mm-hmm. with some incredible people that are heavy into the archery side of stuff. and, and that's where my passion is. That's where Brian's passion is. Going forward this year, we're, we want to do a lot more archery content. And it's just, we like shooting our bows. And I think there's a lot of people out there that enjoy that type of content too. And like our Total Archery Challenge film, I guess you call it a film because it's, it's our competition. It's like 130, 140,000 views because people are people want to see how bad you suck or how good you're doing with your bow and we're putting ourselves out there we're showing the world we're not covering it up this is who we are and we feel like we we shoot pretty good we shot some with some big names and shot right side with them if not outshot them brian's a great shot with the bow and it just depends on how i handle the pressure whether i'm good or not but <laughs> i'm just in that type of stuff i just i'm getting better at not flying by the pants my the seat of my pants i'm like okay i gotta focus and be a good shot and just learning over time to handle camera pressure and stuff like before yeah the camera i would think about a little bit now i don't even the camera doesn't bother me like i don't even it's second nature now i don't even realize it's there but just showing to the world good or bad our shooting and people love that and so like you watch some of the other tack events out there that people have filmed and it's like a highlight reel same with some of the films it's a kill shot highlight reel you don't have the intimate moments on these films that we're trying to capture and, and bring to the world and it's not easy to do But again, that's why we pack the heavy loads, the heavy equipment, the extra equipment to to capture that stuff. And again, make it feel like the viewer is sitting right there on the mountain with us. And it's raw, it's real and intimate. And again, good or bad, we're putting ourselves out there. (laughs) It's it's gritty. Absolutely. It is gritty. So we're pushing the hour. I would like to tell hunting stories on this podcast, right? I want to hear. So give me your... Give us your best hunting story, man. Give us your favorite. Does it have to be like your biggest animal? It could be oh, a grandpa. It could be anything. What's mm-hmm. the one that just like, it just sits with you and, and you love that story and everything about it. You can, as long as yeah. you want, just go tell me a yeah. story. I've had a lot of experiences, a lot of incredible stuff, but one that really, and it's, again, it's not that big of an animal, but it's my coos deer from 2020. So I'd hunted Arizona multiple times since 2009. 
but I always focused on mule deer with the bow down there. And in 2020, I got invited to go with Randy Newberg, the hunting public, Brian, Ryan, those guys were down there. And I got invited by Brian and Ryan. And so I was like, you know what? All these guys talk about the great ghosts. And cause I, again, I never focused on coos. And I'm like, they My say they're My favorite deer, to- by the way. My yeah. favorite, hands down. Keep going. Same here. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? This hunt, I'm solely focused on coos deer. I don't even care if there's a 200 inch mule deer out on the flats. I'm focused on coos deer. So I... We did a whole rock, paper, scissors to see who was going to get the stock that day. And I'd sat back like the previous two days, kind of glassing for some guys or whatever, Brian's cousin, Ben, and his best friend, Anthony. And I beat Ben in a rock, paper, scissors to go on the stock. And Brian's like, hey, he's going to be all day. Because normally like a lot of guys will stock a couple hours, they'll rush in, they blow the stock up and then they're done. And Anthony and those guys are like, what do you mean? It's going to be all day. He's like, Brad will be all day stocking. I went like less than 600 yards. And it, it was basically a nine hour stock on two big coos deer bucks. <laughs> and there was at one point I had some does walk like 50 yards from me. And I just laid down on the grass, took like a 30 minute nap. And once they were gone and out of the way, I continued slowly stalking in there. And I was on this big deer, like about 110, 112 inch coos deer, just a giant with a bow, especially. And I was at 37 yards and I sat for about two and a half hours this doe would pin me down and I just sat two and a half hours in the shadow in the same position and the wind just slowly switched and he didn't really smell me, but he didn't feel right in the situation. He just dumped off the bat and I knew there was another really good buck about a hundred yards down the hill. I just slipped down there, got set up and only had like 45 minutes left of shooting light. And just <laughs> as I set up that I saw a doe come running up the hill and there was another deer right behind her, but he just had his head in the dirt. And so I'm like, it's gotta be a buck. And so I just instantly drew because I'm like any deer with the, any buck with a bow, coos deer buck with a bow is an accomplishment. Like they're not easy to hunt. And that buck come running up and he put his head up and I was like, crap, it's a stud buck. He ended up, he's like an 84, 85 inch coos deer. And he stopped and I guessed him at 40 yards and I shot and I heard this loud whack. And so I'm like, crap, I missed. I hurry and loaded another arrow and I drew again and the buck ran around the face of the hill. And he stopped again, kind of quartered to me, looking at me. And I'm shooting a, at that time, I think I was shooting like a 440 grain arrow, shooting like 300 and some feet per second, 305. And it's going right to heavy arrow. I'm not worried about the coos there, my arrow not making it through him. And so he stopped and I guessed him at 40 and touched it off. And that one, I knew I hit him like a really good shot, quartered in right here. And it blew out like his back end, almost went coast to coast on him. And he went like 40 yards and piled up. And I always make fun of, I always had made fun of kind of like the whole Eastern whitetail guys, Midwest whitetail, when they shoot a buck, they get the adrenaline shakes and can't stand up, can't talk, can't function. And I never had that happen. Shooting a bunch of elk, mule deer with the bow, rifle, whatever. I've never had that happen. And I shot that coos deer and I don't know if it was because it was such a long stock or I put up so much hype towards these things are hard to hunt with the bow. But right after I watched that coos deer fall like 30, 40 yards away, I couldn't stand. Like my knees were shaking so bad. My hands, I couldn't get my cell phone out of my pocket. I was trying to get to text the guys like I just shot this buck. I couldn't even get it out. I had to sit down and I probably sat there for four or five minutes and it's, which seemed like an hour at the time. And I was like, what is going on? Then I walked up to the buck finally and found my one arrow. I couldn't find the other arrow. Ended up the first arrow was perfect. Hit him right behind the shoulder, took both lungs out. Like it was a perfect shot. So both were great shots, but to me, that story, just because I never had that adrenaline rush before and killing a, a, like I said, a decent coos deer buck with the bow to me was an accomplishment that is on one of the highest pinnacles out there because coos deer, again, they're like hunting a mountain lion. They're just so cagey. They're switched on. And to be that close to a coos deer for so long, just, I don't know, it was, to me, it was a heck of an ac- accomplishment. And it's, I got to, just because of who I was with, Randy Newberg and the hunting public, like I felt like in a way I had something to prove to those guys, which I shouldn't be that way, but I'm I'm competitive. Like no matter what it is, I want to be at the top all the time. And I didn't say anything to those guys. And we got back to camp that night and Randy Newberg was like, Hey, did you, you cut your, cut yourself? And I'm like, what do you mean? And I had some blood on my pants and I'm like, no, I, I think I, I killed the coos deer and I must've got some blood on it. And he's like, oh, you killed a, a buck. And I'm like, yeah, he's a pretty good buck. And so we go out to the truck and Randy... <laughs> Then we pull it up and it says 84 inch coos deer and Randy's like, that's not just any buck. That is a giant for a bow. And Randy's like, I've been hunting six years and never even drawn on a coos deer before. And then of course, Lampers comes rolling in 10 minutes later with the 180 inch mule deer he just shot with his bow. So all the coos deer <laughs> hype had gone out the window and Ryan was my thunder stealer, but it was cool just to be there with those guys and 
I'm just a no-name country kid that was fortunate enough to go be around those guys and hunt with those guys and idols that I've looked up to. Randy's always been an idol of mine. He's great for the hunting community. He's just a great endorsement and conserv- conservationist and stuff. And I've always just looked up to Randy, watched him for years on TV. And then t- for him to see and be around those guys and bring in a big coos deer, it was pretty cool. So that's like my favorite story as far as hunting with myself and just by myself all day. I literally drank a water bottle at that morning and I ate a granola bar and didn't take anything else with me the whole day. And because I knew it was going to be a grind, but I didn't want the noise. I didn't want the stuff to be catching on brush. And the whole time I was below grass line. Like even when those coos deer does came to me, they didn't see me because I wasn't standing up. I wasn't above the, the grass line. And Ryan Lampers always has a saying, and same with Brian Barney. They say, if you are not sore after a stock like that, you're not doing it right. And man, the next two days I was hurting like hip flexors, calves, <laughs> thighs, because just so intense, you're tensed up for so many hours, stocking in on that situation and being quiet and staying super low. Like it's not easy to stay that low all the time stocking. And I know we, I train a lot to do that type of stuff when I'm hunting. Even now, like we're getting ready to go hunt Mexico and I haven't been bow hunting for the last couple of months after archery season elk. And so I'm like, I'm getting back into doing stretches and like air squats and stuff and walking around like a duck on the floor in the squatted position because <laughs> I know that's what I'm going to be doing with the bow and I don't want to be cramping up in those situations. So I don't know, bow hunting, I love that. And killing a coos deer was awesome. And I'm hoping to do it again here in a couple of weeks in Mexico. So crack that yeah. 110 mark down there, buddy. <clears throat> yeah. So I shot a buck last year. He was like 103 with the rifle last day buck. And I'm setting my sights a little higher, even though it's a little harder with the bow. But I'm like, man, there's some stud bucks. And I love coos deer because they may not get super tall or super wide. But when they get old, they just start to get bladed tines. They start to get some extras here and there. And they're cool deer. They're one of my favorite. I'm a mule deer nut through and through. I'll never go away from mule deer. Even I will take mule deer over elk anytime. Love elk hunting, but I'll take coos deer or sorry, mule deer over anything. But coos deer is up there. They are, they're up there because of how switched on they are. And just, it's not easy to shoot them with the bow. It's not easy to shoot well, them with the bow. There's so many eyes. People don't understand that you're not hunting one deer, hunting no. 15 deer. And that's people don't right. get it. Like it's, there's so many coos deer. That's the problem. Like you're saying, you're trying to get on this buck and there's probably eight deer in between you and that buck and you don't see that. Right. right? And there's just, yep. they're and, fun. You know, man. They got my goat for sure. They're my favorite. Yeah. And they, they're so little big mature buck is a hundred pounds. If you're like lucky, a German you know, shepherd, I tell people all the time on that coos deer, like I'd seen him on the mountain, but I never had actually put my hands on one. When I walked up, I was like, damn, Weimaraner is bigger than this thing, but <laughs> exact God, same color too. <laughs> yeah. Right? They just are so switched on. They, you get any wind, they are so alert. Like they just, I don't know. They're tough to hunt. Like they could jump a string like no other animal. Yeah, exactly. And elk hunting guys, I've been very fortunate. I hunted elk my entire life. I'm a great elk caller, but elk, I can get away with a ton. As long as they're not seeing me, I can make all the noise in the world. I don't have to be quiet. I can break branches. I can kick rocks. I can do all that stuff. Elk don't care because they're noisy. Mule deer, you got to be pretty quiet with a mule deer because they're pretty sure-footed. They're quiet-footed. Same with the coos deer. Like They hear noise. They know something's not right. And I think with coos deer, you have to pay attention to the sunshine a lot more than anything too because I think they have such a small home range of where they are that they know everything that's in their home. And so if you're shining like a diamond in the sun, they notice that oh, something's not right. I don't care what camo you have on. It doesn't work when you're shining in the sun. And so trying to get shaded up and I've learned with coos deer, I try and almost ambush hunt a little more than just stalking because again, they're so switched on. So I really like those windy days for some cover noise, uh, cloudy days, especially. And so we pick and choose like our stalks and a lot of guys will go I like to get more at bats on coos deer where I try and we will relocate coos all the time. Like to so get I, the right stock. Yeah. So I pick my stocks now because one, I know my stocking ability. I feel like I'm pretty sneaky, especially Brian and Ryan. Like they can attest to that too. Those guys are incredible stalkers as well. Brian Barney, he's that way. But I just, I feel like that's a strong point for me. And so I don't want to just go in there and I don't need all these at bats. I want to pick my stocks for the good situation. I like to watch that deer a couple of days and figure out what he's doing. And once I can figure that out, then I feel like my odds go way up, even though I'm not getting as many stocks, but I feel like my odds go way up because I've seen what that deer, where he goes, where he likes to bed, where he walks a trail or something. And yeah, just, I think gives me an advantage of 
paying attention to him more. And usually if I don't blow him out of there, I'll locate that buck again. I'll spend the, even if it might not be the next day, but within a couple of days, I will find that deer again. And I will spend the 12 hours behind the glass all day trying to find him moving little 20 yards at a time, glassing little pockets or whatever that he may have dumped into, but we'll find him again. If I have the days, I'm going to find that deer again. Oh, yeah, they really are like a quarter mile radius. It's like they're mm-hmm. in these pockets, but you could, something about Kuzier, you can look at a bush all day long. Yeah. And then all, you could watch, even better, you can watch a buck walk into a bush and bed down. 100%. And in four hours, you convince yourself he's not there and blow that stock. And he I've doesn't done even have multiple Drew, times. He, he doesn't even have to bed down. Like that buck can <laughs> pop, just statue up, especially in old mature coos. That's one thing they do is they'll get in that shadow and they will just statue up. And when they statue up, like you can be looking at him. And all of a sudden, even if without taking your eye off, you're like, where did he go? He just disappeared. And mm-hmm. then he'll turn his head like a half of six inches or something, four inches. And all of a sudden, no, he's still there. Or he'll flick his ear and you're like, crap, he's still standing there. But they mm-hmm. just disappear in their terrain. And it makes it hard on like, last year was hard in Mexico because it was a heavy water year, high water year. So the grasses were super tall. Where I think this year we may have a little better because there's not water rain that much water. Yeah, mm-hmm. just because rain up here didn't rain, it didn't transcend down there for sure. That's what I've been learning yep. too. Yep. Actually, some of the ranches, like the ranch we're going to, the only reason they're holding bucks so well is they actually truck water in. Oh, and so yeah. they're one of the own ranches trucking. So it's an advantage for them for the ranches around them because they're trucking yeah. trucks into these tank, these feeders. We just didn't get a lot of rain down there. Yep. But yeah, yeah. man, I'm, I'm, I love coos. All right, dude, you want to plug? You guys have a little podcast, don't you? Or a YouTube channel? Yeah. Or plug that stuff? Have people heard, yeah. heard so it before? We have our YouTube channel, just Brian called Gritty. You can type in Gritty Podcast or whatever. So we run our podcast there. Our gritty Films are also there. And we have a lot of gear content, a lot of gear dumps, what we use in the field. And it changes year to year, spring to fall, it changes. We find the best stuff out there that's going to work for us. And then we, if we don't like it, we don't use it. It has to perform for the amount of days we're out there and we're hard on gear. <laughs> and so again, if it doesn't perform, we don't use it much. And yeah, for the Greedy Podcast, Greedy Films, go check it out. We just released some Kodiak content with the guys at Weatherby. So Adam Weatherby and his crew, we were up there for five days. It was actually one of our shortest hunts we've had in the last couple of years. <laughs> but uh, we wanted a lot more days, but it was a great hunt. Like We feel like people won't be disappointed when they go watch our films. Like I said, we tried to educate, inspire, and entertain. And we really hold ourselves true to that. And so we don't want it just to be another film that goes up on YouTube. We want you to enjoy it. And uh, a lot of people tell us we should have a lot more followers than we do on YouTube, but is what it is. We get shadow banned because we are very open about what we believe in. Now that may hurt us in the long run, but it's just who we are. And uh, the podcast is great. We do a lot of hunting content, but we also do a lot of health, fitness, um, education, whatever. It's a, we have a very large demographic of people and uh, been very fortunate to be blessed and to do what we do and get it out there for the the community. So you go check yep. it out. And you guys, a lot of this stuff is funded by working with brands and using your code. So what are some brands people can go buy right now that you guys believe in and work with? Yeah. So we have a couple like exclusive partnerships, but then almost everything that we do, we try and do code-based or link-based and performance-based. So we don't make any money unless we are selling that product. But we, what we do is we don't find who pays the best or whatever, and then use that product to sell it. We go find the product that we're going to use that's going to perform for us. And then we ask them if we can get a code or something or a link that gives the viewer, the, the consumer a little bit of a discount. And then, which helps them because most time they're going to buy that product anyway. So you get a little bit of a discount and then we get a little bit of a kickback from that. So like Dark Energy is a really good one. Peaks Equipment is another one. You have like Graxaw. We talk about the Graxaw boot dryers, the game bags. Those are a couple of great products that we use a lot. Dark Energy, like I said before, we use their battery packs. We've tested their battery packs a lot compared to a lot of others. And they just, especially cold weather, they seem to perform. We've tested the Peaks Gators for years and years now. And I'm a Gator snob. Like I used to use the OR Gators 15 years ago, up until a couple of years ago. And I, we honestly feel like we can say the Peaks Gators are the best on the market. We just recommend people go try stuff out for themselves. Like we put it through the paces. We feel like we've done the testing for you. There's others like the All-In. We use the heck out of All-In now. Getting a lot of footage, a lot of video on the digiscoping side of things. Through like the gritty podcast and stuff, we have a link to everyone that we use. And hopefully we can kick you back a, a, a discount, 10, 15, 20%, whatever it is. And 
again, that helps support us and we want to stay as independent as we can. So that's why we use performance-based codes versus exclusive partner contracts. Just seems to, and again, Dreiser was another one and we've put that sucker through the paces this, this fall. <laughs> and man, I, again, I have absolutely loved the setup. If you're a glasser, some of this not filming, especially, which is 98% of people, I don't know if there's a much better, lighter setup out there, especially the weight wise. It's hard to beat the weight. You're as a backcountry hunter, just performance wise, weight to performance is incredible. You've done a hell of a job, Drew. And I'm not just saying that because we're on the podcast together. Like we, Ryan and I especially have put these things through the paces and they have performed. They haven't failed on us yet. When we've been through mud, rain, winter, water, like <laughs> they've been performing. So it's been good. Been awesome to work with you so far. That's awesome. Yeah. Ryan lost one. Someone got a free BC somewhere. He, he, yeah. he, he's, he's, he seems to be he, happening he, a lot lately, Ryan. No. <laughs> <laughs> Guy hunts a ton. That guy's a killer. Absolutely. Yeah, dude. Code Gritty at TricerUSA.com. You get 10% mm-hmm. off and you're going to help Gritty out and make more yeah. awesome content. Dude, what a fun podcast. Let's, let's do it again, man. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks, Drew. Thank you for listening to the Tricer Podcast. Do us a favor and like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Tricer USA. And go and check out all of our innovative gear at www.tricerusa.com. Until next time, shoot straight, have fun, and always put God first. Thank you.